You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The book, Practicing Medicine in the 21st Century, covers medical management from head to toe. Reading it is like getting an annual physical for your practice as it covers clinical management, information management, the practice environment, practice administration, financial management, and future trends. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Please join me in welcoming Dr. David B. Nash, author of Practicing Medicine in the 21st Century. Dr. Nash is the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy and Chairman of the Department of Health Policy at Jefferson Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University. He is a national leader in healthcare quality and improvement and has been internationally recognized in the field. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nash. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me. Dr. Nash, let's talk about the book. What's in the book, and how's it organized, and why is your book so special? Well, I'm thrilled to be here, Larry, and I think you and I would agree that there's just nothing like this in medical schools, and certainly when you and I went to school, we maybe had one hour to prepare us for the real world. Not even. Not even. And my colleagues and I at Jefferson and at the American College of Physician Executives in Tampa, we thought, boy, there's a real need to prepare medical students, fellows, young attendings for a new world of practice in the 21st century. And hence, we worked together to find experts from all over the country who could also help us put the book together. So I'm awfully proud of the teamwork that went into creating and editing practicing medicine in the 21st century. But in a nutshell, there's still a crying need for this kind of information across the training continuum. How did you find the doctors or the contributing authors? How did you pick them? Well, I'd like to say we rounded up the unindicted co-conspirators, but after 18 years at Jefferson Medical School and seven at University of Pennsylvania prior to that, so a quarter of a century of work in academic medicine, I like to think that I know all of the key people in the expertise we need in the non-clinical aspects of medicine. So we were able to reach out to the best people in quality, the best people in risk management, the best people in electronic medical records. Frankly, it was a matter of just diving deep into my Rolodex to find the right people who I knew could deliver the goods for our intended audience. How do you know when you have a book in you? I mean, Yeah, how does that happen? It largely happens from paying attention to the environment and listening to what people ask me when I'm out and about. So I have the privilege of traveling around the country someplace once every week for the last 15 years. That gives you a real opportunity to put your pulse if you would, on the collective doctor culture. And it dawned on me about nearly now two years ago that, boy, if another intern resident young attending was going to ask me a question about why did I go into medicine and what is this all about, I was going to really lose my mind. And I thought, in this confusion, there is a great opportunity. Sure. In chaos lies opportunity. You bet. Let's talk about some of the chapters of the book. How how is it laid out? Well, Obviously, it's a big topic, and so we decided to break it down into some sort of major categories, which also helped me then to find the appropriate authors. So we hit the highlights in what I would call clinical management, all the topics under quality, safety, good communication with patients. That's one whole section. 
information management for the future, which deals with the EMR, PHR, and related activities. The third section is on the practice environment, which is sort of the nitty-gritty about healthcare law, malpractice, care coordination, disease management. Uh, the fourth uh, topic is on what would be traditional practice management or practice administration issues, kind of, uh, but brought into the 21st century, like open access scheduling and what that's all about. And then the final piece is on the financial aspects of practice, but with a trend toward looking toward the future. So those are the five key areas. Did you write the book first and then try and find someone to publish it, or did you have someone lined up already? No, no. We had a pretty detailed outline in our mind of what the key topics were, and then I went to find the right people to fill in each of the key topics. On occasion, I also wanted to make sure that I gave a voice to certain individuals who I knew would be super, and we found a way to include them in the book as well. So how do how do you get this book to be part of curriculum in med school? Yeah, it's an uphill battle. Sometimes I think we're pushing this huge rock. You know, we get it up two feet, and it rolls back another six inches. So That would be the story of Sisyphus. For sure. The short answer is it's not easy. Programs like this go a long way toward helping us get the word out and influencing key decision makers. We had a mailing, a mass national mailing to every residency program director. We advertise in the various journals that emanate from our Department of Health Policy at Jefferson Medical School. And then, frankly, Larry, my bully pulpit of traveling around the country and the very nice speaking invitations that I get, I always talk about at the end that good leadership means preparing tomorrow's leaders. That's really what I'm all about. And this book fits perfectly into the mission and vision of our department. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. David B. Nash, author of the book Practicing Medicine in the 21st Century. Dr. Nash, are there other benefits or are there other people that would benefit from reading this book besides doctors? I mean, will it help office managers? Will it help policymakers? Yes, we think there's a pretty broad potential readership for the book. Certainly, big practice managers, uh, even office managers could benefit from understanding where we think the puck is going, sort of a la Wayne Gretzky. I think policymakers have a huge vested interest in aspects of the book, most especially regarding electronic medical records and pay for performance. I also think uh, the large payers, managed care medical directors, those who visit individual doctor practices and give them a grade, they certainly should be interested in this book. And finally, there is a burgeoning market in business schools, medical schools, schools of public health, and even in health law programs where people want to get some insight as to how practice is going to be organized moving forward. How are sales? Are you in your third printing? Ah, I wish we were, yes. No one ever gets rich writing a medical book. And, of course, the other good thing is all of the proceeds go back to our department. That's how we feed and water the 45 members of our Department of Health Policy here at Jefferson. 
So we certainly didn't write the book to get rich, but we did write the book in part fulfillment of the mission and vision of our department. So I'm just excited when people are interested in the issues that are the burning platform for us. I can't wait for the movie. <laughs> That'd be a great. I think it'd probably be rated PG. Yeah. You said you travel every week and you kind of get the pulse of what's going on out there. So what is the biggest gripe facing docs out there today? It's a long laundry list in the top number of complaints, certainly, are the paperwork burden of practice, the intrusive aspects that doctors feel insurance companies are poking their nose in every part of their world, medical liability and professional liability, most especially in Pennsylvania, is a huge rallying cry. I would say in general terms that it's unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations that especially a lot of middle-aged physicians still harbor. Larry, you and I know the golden era is over. It'll never come back. And the sooner everybody understands that, the better off we'll all be. Right. Accept reality. Indeed. Indeed. And better yet, I think more importantly, play a role in improving the reality for the future. I think docs in general terms like to complain and agonize, and again, it's a generalization, but we don't participate enough in the dialogue about change. Right. Well, we feel so special and entitled that that's why we like to complain. Indeed, and I'm glad you said it. <laughs> you talk a little bit about in the book, well, actually, you talk a lot about in the book about uh, communicating with patients, and I remember there was an article in the New York Times somewhere in late June about doctors talking too much about themselves. I don't know if you had a chance to read that, but there... I'm familiar with aspects of that. The communication section is very important because when you actually do focus groups with patients, among their top complaints and one of the major sources of professional liability is poor communication. We actually see a direct connection between improving the safety of practice and improving doctor-patient communication. There's very solid evidence, for example, that patients don't remember more than 50% of what doctors tell them within 15 minutes of exiting. So we've got compliance, adherence, safety, all of those key issues all wrapped up under the communication umbrella. Well, how do you feel about, with the advent of EMRs or EHRs, the doctor actually handing the notes of the visit to the patient when they leave? I'm for complete open skies. Sunshine is the best disinfectant to prevent disease. And so I'm in favor of a practice in the future where every note is shared, the medical record is online, password protected, HIPAA compliant, accessible by whoever gets the password from the patient. And I see the patient as the central source of control of their own care in the future. I can't think of anybody who has more at stake than the individual patient regarding his or her own care. Following up on that, let's say the doctor hands the note to the patient and the doctor wrote in there his differential diagnosis, things that he's worried about, and then the patient sees, oh, my God, the doctor thinks I've got cancer. Right. I mean, that's the downside. of. That's the downside, but better that you have the open conversation and you help explain to the patient what the percentage risk factors are. I think we underestimate all the time 
the role that patients can play in improving their own health. It's a part of our paternalistic training and our paternalistic culture. I'd like to ask you how you address or teach young doctors about what they should do when they make a mistake and when it's appropriate to say, I'm sorry, and how to say it. That's a powerful new area of inquiry, and certainly for most docs already in practice, they probably never heard of these radical new ideas. But there are a large number of peer-reviewed scholarly studies that have clearly begun to show that when we explain to patients what went wrong and we give a forthright, detailed description of how the error occurred, we greatly ease the psychological suffering of the patient. On that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. David B. Nash, author of Practicing Medicine in the 21st Century. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.